You're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Do you want to speak with confidence and authority, have more influence, and get bigger and better results? Whether you're a top executive, an entrepreneur, or climbing the career ladder, this is the show for you. The leader who wants to inspire others and leave a lasting legacy. Now here's your host, world-renowned TEDx speaker, author, and executive communication coach, Dr. Laura Sokola. Welcome to the podcast, Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, your host, founder of Vocal Impact Productions and author of Speaking to Influence, Mastering Your Leadership Voice. My guest today is Jacob Badsgard. He is the founder and president of Disruptive Advertising, the most reviewed advertising agency in the country. Disruptive Advertising has regularly been awarded for being the top social media and pay-per-click advertising agency in the U.S. Jacob is also the father of four, a business builder, and an avid runner. I'm guessing that has something to do with having four kids to chase after all the time. Jacob, welcome to the show. Laura, thanks so much for having me. And before we get into all the hardcore business insights, what's your fun fact? My fun fact will be the best for those that get to see this, but for the listeners, as well. I can independently move one eyeball. Oh my goodness. Oh, that's really creepy. Okay. Everybody out there, you can imagine. And there's, there's an and. And I can split my tongue in half. Oh my gosh. And is... only me and my daughter am I aware of that can do that. And that, so it's clearly a recessive gene of some sort and what a talent. Okay. So you've got something to fall back on that should the disruptive agency. I'm set. Off. No matter what happens with the agency, I'm good to go. <laughs> You can be a YouTube sensation for sure. How to monetize it, I'm not totally clear, but you of all people would know how to do that. So look at that. You are totally set. Oh my gosh, that's a first. I've never seen anything quite like that. So now everybody out there who's listening, when you're done in the car or washing the dishes or whatever you're doing, make sure that you go and watch the YouTube video, just at least for the first couple of minutes to see this one for yourself. All right. Well, now we've got a general and very interesting sense of who you are, but tell us a little bit more about the company. What's your 30-second elevator pitch? Yeah, Disruptive Advertising is a performance digital marketing agency, and we work with a lot of businesses all throughout the country, some of the biggest ones in the country and some smaller ones as well. But our sweet spot is that company that's just kind of figured out who they are with the product and service that's really driving a lot of good impact, but they just don't know how to grow to the next level. And so a lot of those companies are really looking for the right partner that can help elevate and grow their business to the next level with the right digital marketing strategy. And that's our sweet spot. Nice. So about how big is your average client or your ideal client? That sweet spot's probably more in like that 5 to $30 million a year spot. Cool. Okay. Now, tell me about some misconceptions, perhaps. What's something that you wish more people understood about your role, about your company, or about your industry? And how do you see your role in changing this perception? It reminds me of a misconception I had that I see others now having as well. And Laura, I grew up in a family with 10 children. Wow. Okay. So four is a piece of cake. The running is more about people you are running from with that many siblings. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so there's 10 of us. I've had a job since I was eight years old. Had a dad that was a great provider, but there was no excess in the family. So if sure. you wanted something, you went and earned it yourself. And one time, my aunt, who had recently been divorced, took me and my siblings up to her mansion in Salt Lake City and took us to the mall and gave us all $2,000 to buy whatever we wanted. Wow. I was in eighth grade, and it was one of those moments we all dreamed that would happen to us. And it happened. 
And I thought, if this is what being rich is like, I want to be rich because mm. this is so cool. That was a very impactful moment for me. Mm. Fast forward, I created a lot of that reality for me. Disruptive ended up being far more successful. I always kind of like dreamed it could be successful and grow fairly large, but there was a big part of me that never actually believed that that would happen. Mm. But then I found myself, I had the big house and the nice cars and the business that was doing well. And I realized something about the misperception I held, which was at that time, my aunt was actually going through a really difficult time in her life. And the money actually, it doesn't really solve that. It mm. magnifies what's going on. Interesting. And I oftentimes, you work a long time and you have a successful business. And to the outside looking in, it looks like it happened overnight. Mm. But in this situation, it's like, hey, I actually have all the things I thought I wanted and that everyone else seems to see that I have and want as well. But yet, why do I find myself feeling unsatisfied? Yeah. <laughs> and so the misperception of this is what I identified is that when I carry the narrative of if I do enough and have enough, then I'll finally be enough on the inside. Mm. And that's the story that I was chasing, especially for the first few years of starting the business, that I had a hard time even recognizing in myself and certainly had a hard time admitting to anyone else. Yes. And found myself in a situation where I was physically in the worst shape that I'd been in a long time. Exercise was not a regular thing for me. Mm. My emotions were very volatile, depending on how things were going from day to day. Didn't have much of a spiritual connection and just was in and out of burnout all the time. And to boot, we had three kids at that point and uh, was really struggling in my marriage and all of these things that were going on. And I think, man, if everyone actually knew what was going on behind the scenes, would they want would they want what I have? Yeah. Is it worth it? And so I did find myself in a situation where something needed to change. And whether I was conscious or subconscious of this, things were starting to hit a breaking point in a lot of areas. And the primary one being in my marriage. And so my wife and I ended up in marriage counseling. And in that counseling, we actually read a book called Leadership and Self-Deception that our counselor had recommended. The title of that book, again, is Leadership and Self-Deception. Is that correct? Yeah, by Did the Arbinger know? Institute. The Arbinger Institute. Okay, so for everybody out there, I will put the link to that book in the show notes. And in our follow-up session, we were talking about that book. And the first thing was, yeah, I could see how this applies to me, but I definitely see how this applies to my wife. Sure. <laughs> And in that session, he was asking me some questions about how disruptive was doing at the time. And with kind of like a beating my chest moment, was excited to tell him how well it was all going. And he saw right through it, which is what most people don't see. And that was, oh, I'm glad to hear how well that's going. How does your business partner feel about that? And I said, what do you mean I don't have a business partner? And he goes, oh, interesting. And then he looked at my wife and he looked back at me and I said, oh, shoot. But yeah, she's kind of not my business partner. And then I have this overwhelming feeling of, whoa, I don't see her like my partner. Mm. And at this point, we'd been married for 10 years and I get consumed with this thought, which did not feel good at all, by the mm. way, of what would it be like to be married to someone for 10 years that does not see and treat you like a partner? And I'm like, wow. that would suck. And I'm that guy. And mm. so here I am sitting in that and maybe that inner child of that moment where I thought, man, if this is what Rich is being like, this is what I want to be like. And here I was, in a moment of maybe my marriage not working out mm. and with a lot of excess money and finding it to not feel as satisfying. In fact, pretty hollow. And so that was that moment where sometimes, I guess, be careful what you wish for because I experienced that. I really wanted it. I achieved it. And then 
all of a sudden it's like, oh, that's not actually what I really wanted. What I wanted was to feel like I'm enough on the inside. And even building a business that's successful actually didn't fill that cup for me. And I started to see and my eyes were opened that I was using it as an excuse. All these habits that I developed over the years, they're not that big of a deal because the business is successful. Yeah. You know, struggles in my relationships. I can't be the problem because look how good disruptive is doing. Yes. And all of a sudden, I just realized that I had created the ultimate scapegoat of I'm never the problem. Everyone else is because otherwise, how could the business be successful? Right. And that was kind of my, when we realize combating misconceptions, sometimes I think if we look a little deeper on what it is we think we want that someone else has, there's a lot going on behind the scenes as well. And understanding that sometimes I actually think humanizes all of us. And helps us get more to the root of who we really are and what we're really looking for. Yes. I think the two deepest underlying needs of everybody out there, any human, is the fear of not being enough and ultimately not being worthy of love and the fear of failure and rejection, which, of course, are in many ways two sides of the same coin. But it's utterly terrifying for most people to face that. And you you just did such a beautiful job of expressing how, you know, we try to fill that need for acceptance and that need for other stuff with stuff. And stuff doesn't love you back if that love is what we really need. So, uh, you know, what a, a profound revelation. And did things start to turn around after that? Yeah. Well, I have a great reminder because we thought for sure we were done with three. We had three girls. And then I've got a fourth one that's a little boy. He's three years old now. Okay. He'll be turning four soon. And he's my little reminder every day that it's totally worth it to go there and to look in the mirror and see what's really going on and have the hard conversations if that's what's needed to be had. So fortunately, the marriage is in a better spot. It really sparked, hey, this isn't the kind of business I want to build and grow. If this is what it creates for me and others where we come to escape from all of our challenges rather than accepting them and working through them. How do we change that? And how do we actually turn this into a more values-based business rather than just chasing money and growth at all costs? That's a really big question to answer, isn't it? And that sounds a lot easier to ask than to respond. How has that changed the dialogue in the company? You have to become aware of who you are and what you want and then build values in a culture that supports that. So often we say, specifically, so often I've said, I want to get in better shape. But then if you look in my cupboard in my refrigerator, I'm not really saying that's what I want. Yeah. Because the environment is not ultimately not going to support that. And one of the things that was very helpful for me and our organization was getting very clear on when push comes to shove, what do we value most? Is that revenue growth? Is that profitability? Or is that experiences that enable us to grow as people. And ultimately, what we actually realized is that you can't do one at the expense of the other. So one of our core values became an extrapolation of Stephen R. Covey's win-win to the win-win-win. If we can't see how this creates a win for our customers, a win for our employees, and a sustainable win for the business, we just won't do it because we realize that it's short-sighted. It's a three-legged stool and it will not stand unless all three of those are met. And so We've played around with too much growth, and then we played around with too much personal development, but not focusing on the business performance enough. And then we've kind of been finding that sweet spot with that core value of what is that win-win-win? And until we find it, we're not moving forward because that is what will guide us and keep us balanced on the way. And that's such a 
strong and powerful revelation to have. And it's got to be a hard discussion to have with your team as well to decide what do we want to focus on? What are we going to turn away? You know, I think that's one of the things Steve Jobs said is that in leadership, one of the hardest jobs is the choosing the 90% of the things you want to do that you're going to have to say no to. And I would think keeping aligned with that vision that you just referenced would require having to say no to a lot. Yes. And saying no, I've actually become pretty addicted to saying yes. And so that felt like no small task. I think that's the case for most leaders is that's the point. Nobody likes to say no, especially when it looks like something that'll be fun. It looks like something that can be lucrative. It looks like something. But when you realize that at least one of those three pillars is not going to be met, that it's not in alignment with the values, having that discussion both with your teammates, with the prospective client, with whatever the project is to actually say no. Have you learned to have those conversations more easily? Or if so, or if not, for that matter, how have you learned to do it better? Well, that actually dovetails into when you say this is who I am and this is what I want to create in my life, life is fantastic at giving that to us. And so when I tell you about, hey, learning to say no and really finding that win-win-win, life gave me a fantastic opportunity to practice. Mm. This was March of 2020. This is when COVID was happening. Mm, Sure. I'll never forget it. I was actually on a plane to uh, Brazil when it was just like blowing up nonstop. And I'm like, I wonder if I'll be able to get back into the country. Mm. But then as we're working through that, the fear that I, and I'm sure many business owners had was this is going to be the end. Like it's been a great run. We'll see what happens. And about 45 days into this. Into COVID, you mean? Into COVID. Okay. Okay. A few clients had started going under, some were shut down, they couldn't operate in the travel and hospitality space. And we like almost overnight lost 10% of our client base, of our revenue, all of those things. And I thought, okay, here it comes, like this is going to get worse. And then all of a sudden, everyone was shifting their budgets to digital. Mm. And our e-commerce and direct-to-consumer and all those clients started just thriving and succeeding. And I'm like, oh my goodness, this is going to be a growth catalyst for my business. And yet, Laura, I found myself feeling incredibly disappointed that it wasn't going to get worse. I'm like, what the heck? Like, I was not expecting to feel this way. And it comes back to that, that question, which was, we were saying yes to anyone and everyone that wanted to work with us. Mm. And it wasn't fun. At this point, we had over 650 companies throughout the country that we were working with. We were basically saying, yes, we can figure it out regardless of where you're at as a business or what industry you're in. And it was stressful. It was chaotic. And I thought, if we have more of this, even if it means making more money, I don't even want it because this feels too hard. This doesn't feel fun and enjoyable. And it actually no longer feels like that win win win. And what I realized was I was hoping the economy would make a hard decision for me Mm. rather than me having the courage to make the decision that I knew needed to be made. What decision was that? That we needed to work with the clients we knew we were a great fit for, to work with fewer that we really believed in and to really simplify the business model. And I'm embarrassed to say like, that's what it took. It took like a COVID type situation for me to see reality more as it was rather than I was pretending it to be. And what's great is over the last three years, we've actually come from 650 accounts across the country to 200 while maintaining our revenue and profitability and just focusing more and more on 
the types of industries and businesses that we love working with and that like light us up and inspire us to be great marketers for them and great partners. And it's like, whoa, this is way better. Now we have a third as many to work with and we're having more success as a result. And so very grateful that life gave me the opportunity to practice. And in hindsight, moving forward, I would hope that I can be more proactive about that rather than waiting for life to kind of force the issue. Yes. It sounds very Jerry Maguire in a lot of ways that it's the mission statement, get rid of all the excess, pick a few clients, elite service, be there, everything, so to speak. And also the idea of maybe not exactly the 80-20 rule, but still the notion of figure out where you are best, who your best clients are, what your ideal service is, what makes you happy, and put all of your effort there rather than trying to be all things to all people. And I think for so many small businesses, they have experienced and or really probably still are in many ways experiencing what you described, which is that, you know, in the beginning, you do take everybody who's willing to give you money if you have a service that they can use. It's survival. It's about revenue. It's about development. It's about build, build, build. And you know, there's nothing wrong with that. But there does come a point where you maybe you don't have the capacity for all of it. And you have to decide what matters to you most. What fills your sales? What is, I mean, I've done the same thing. I think to be able to say, who do I want to be? And what's my brand? And what am I known for? And what's the real service I can provide that not only what's the, the intersection of the three circles, as far as you belong at the intersection of what you're great at, what you love doing, and what, of course, people will pay you for. That's kind of an important part of the business model. Where is that piece? What fills those sales? I mean, COVID didn't make the decision for you, but at least it helped push you to the edge where you had to make it for yourself. And Laura, you brought something up that I think is worth circling back on, which is I love and honor and respect the journey that I had to that. Sure. And I would hope that anyone that finds themselves in that situation where they're in the hungry, scrappy, whatever it takes, let's go love and honor that part of the journey. Because unless I had experienced that, I wouldn't even know what it's like to do it the other way. Yes. And and life has a beautiful way of working out that way. A lot of the things that we become aware of, whoa, I actually don't want to experience this anymore. Well, if we hadn't experienced it, we'd never know that. And so I actually think it's a beautiful part of the evolution of all of us working through our, our lives and our careers. Okay. So that then brings me to a thought that I think many business owners would find a little scary, which is then now you have the need to break up with a lot of clients, it sounds like. So how did you initiate those conversations and what were some of the, this was effective, this wasn't effective when you're effectively firing two thirds of your clients? You said you maintained the revenue, but about only with 200 as opposed to 600 and something clients. So how do you break up with two thirds of your clients? What are some insights? Because I'm sure there are people out there who have come to the realization that they probably need to break up with at least one, but aren't pulling the trigger because they're afraid and they don't know how to start that conversation. What advice do you have? You know, as I reflect on that experience, two things, well, three things that I'll highlight. Number one, one of the people that had been working here for eight years raised their hand and said, I would actually love to service these clients. Hmm. And so we actually partnered and started a small business agency Hmm. that worked with those accounts that were no longer a great fit for Disruptive. And I thought, how cool that he knows what he values and appreciates and works through that. 
and stepped up to the plate, created a great opportunity for ourselves to partner on that. And so a lot of them were actually more transitions to another agency Mm. um, where we actually had a great solution for them. The other two ways that we broke up with people, uh, if that's what we want to call it here, maybe we should have used more flowers and chocolates, but (laughs) the way that it typically worked was here's who we are. This is the direction that we're going. These are the minimums that are needed in order for us to be able to service and show up for our clients that way. And if that's something that you're ready and willing to step up to the plate to do, then we can probably still be a great partner for you. If not, here's another great alternative that we can actually hand you over to. And that's how most of those conversations went. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't just like, we're breaking up and go figure it out. We typically had a solution for them in most situations, whether it was the new agency that got created or, hey, this is probably a better direction to take your business. We're not the right ones to do that. But we did try to show up to serve and say, we're not the right solution for you. And here are some suggestions that would take you on that right path. But I'll tell you what, a lot of them went pretty well. And there was a handful that felt frustrated and upset by the fact that we said, this isn't working anymore. Yeah, It didn't feel good. I wish that we could have done it better. I wish that everyone felt great about it. But in the end, the result was great for the business and for the people that were working here and for the customers that we were servicing. So it was worth the pain for the ones that super well. I'm sure it feels good to an extent that there were some clients where when you said we're no longer going to be able to serve you in in different words, of course, but ultimately they didn't say, oh, good. (laughs) I mean, you don't want them to say that. You want to know that they were happy with you and of course that they don't want you to go. So that's natural. But it sounds like what I'm hearing is the most effective way to let them go to inform them of the transition was to explain how you were growing and evolving in a different direction and helping them to understand what you needed, that it's like, it's not a, not to be cliche, but it's not you, it's me. Uh, You know, there's nothing, we're just not the right fit anymore. It's natural that companies evolve and to still give them the invitation and say, we would love to continue with you if this kind of relationship is what you're looking for and give them the choice. So it's really not saying I'm cutting you off, but here's what we now need and here's what we are able to offer. If that works for you, great. If not, and then as you referenced, to have a backup solution, you're not just leaving them high and dry. You're not just saying we don't care about you anymore. You're not just saying not my problem, see ya, but saying we still care, we still want to serve you and we still want to help ensure your continued success. And here's what we can offer to help you on that road. Am I understanding correctly what kind of the building blocks were in that conversation? Yep, that's spot on. Terrific. Let's see now. I believe, Jacob, that this brings us to our listener 24-hour influence challenge. So this is an opportunity for you to talk directly to our audience and challenge them to take one step that they can complete within 24 hours to have more influence. How would you like to challenge our listeners today? Let's do this. Hey, you. Yeah, you. (laughs) Talking to you. This is your challenge. This is actually one of our core values at Disruptive is gratitude. And one of the best ways to have influence and change just the overall energy that we are showing up with on a day-to-day basis is to share that gratitude. And so your challenge is in the next 24 hour to reach out to someone that you're feeling grateful to and to share why you're feeling grateful for them. And then watch what happens. I think you'll be incredibly surprised how you feel the response. And you might just find that you want to be an overachiever and go above and beyond sending gratitude to one person. You might end up doing it to a few people. 
And is this something where it should be a phone call? You should go up to them in person. It should be a text. Any recommendations of how to deliver this gratitude message? You know, I'm typically a text guy. I think everyone knows what's best and what is the right thing to do. So it could be any of those. I would just challenge you to follow what feels like the right way to approach that. And if it gets too complicated where you find you're not acting, just do something simple and act. The shortest distance between two points being the straight line. Take the path of least resistance. Just get it done. Yep. Let them know that you appreciate it. All right. Very simple. A gratitude message to somebody before the next 24 hours are over. Terrific. Okay. Now, what about when you're looking to hire or to promote somebody as you're going through the interview process, when you're looking for the next leaders in your company, have you ever thought, wow, this person really has it? What impressed you? What did you recognize? What did that it factor look like to you? I have interviewed, hired and fired a lot of people at this point in my career. And there is nothing more refreshing, more inspiring, and more motivating than someone that is simply self-aware, honest, and authentic. They're not trying to pretend to be anything that they're not. And some of the interviews that I've had where they say, this is who I am. These are my strengths. This is where I would add value, but it wouldn't apply to the role. Mm -hmm. I'm like, wow, this is so great. Now you don't have to go through six to 12 months of turmoil in a job that doesn't suit who you are. Like Mm -hmm. how awesome that is. And on the flip side, when someone says, this is who I am, this is how I operate and this is the value I add it makes it really easy to see where they would add value. So sometimes it's like, hey, I know you applied for this position, but now that I know who you are and what you really value, this is actually probably a better position for you over here because everyone deserves to be who they are and thrive in their role. If you have to be someone that you're not, it's just painful for everyone. And so when I think of the situations, and we have a lot of people that have grown and developed from intern level in the organization to director VP level, and the ones that shine the brightest and grow the fastest are the ones that are just themselves and not trying to pretend to be someone else. Do you find that there are people who struggle at all? Because sometimes I hear people who want to be themselves and everybody, you know, authenticity is one of the hottest buzzwords around in the last decade or two, how to be yourself. But the challenge of figuring out how to connect with a group of people, a new employer, et cetera, where there's a culture that's different. It's not that you can't connect with them. It's not that you don't want to. It's just their way is a little bit different and you may need to adapt a bit in order to be accepted, to fit in, to have people receive you as you want to be received, et cetera. Any thoughts or any advice as far as how to reconcile, how to find that balance between just be yourself, but still fit in with us? Well, I will tell you what came up for me is we figured out there's subjective ways to approach this and then there are objective ways to approach this. Okay. And so we actually invest in a tool called Predictive Index Hmm. where we get very clear about the role, the responsibilities, and just get very clear on the type of person that would just be successful in this role. So from a business standpoint, we've really invested in making sure that we're talking to people that would naturally tend to be a good fit for the role to begin with. And so we've kind of just removed that altogether because if I'm just basing it off of two 30-minute or two hours worth of interactions, it's such a guessing game. So that's how we've approached it from a business standpoint. But as an individual, 
I think at the end of the day, if I show up and I act as I am and show up as I am, and someone does or does not like me as a result of that, great. Either way, that's great because we all want to be in a situation where we can show up as we are and be successful. So I just think the answers always lie within us to show up and to just navigate each of those situations the best that we know how. And I think things tend to work out the best that way. Nice. And that there are great tools out there. I like that you broke it down into the balance between the subjective measures and objective measures. And of course, we're all going to have our own subjective lens, but to be able to use an objective tool like the predictive index or the PI, you can go Google that if you don't know what it is. And of course, I can also put a link in the show notes for the predictive index. But I, I think what makes that a good tool, of course, is that it has a way to measure the responsibilities and the I'll say personality type that would be required or the natural strengths and inclinations, perhaps, of the kind of person who would succeed in this role. And then there's another profile of the candidate, and you can see if the two are a good match. So it helps to predict the fit of that person to that role. Am I doing a decent job of expressing how the PI works, Jacob? Absolutely. And the only other cheat code that I would add into that is... When we share in an interview and when we're finding that job, that right fit for us, it's always good to show up with three experiences that represent who we are and what we've experienced from our lives. And everyone loves to sugarcoat those and position them as a, I don't make mistakes and I tend to just always figure everything out and be perfect. But when people say, here are some really hard things I went through and here's the parts that felt embarrassing, vulnerable, and really challenging for me and how I learned and grew from that, man, like... A, that exhibits confidence in a way that is hard to replicate because it's from authentic experience and it inspires the person you're talking to. And I really do think that's the ultimate cheat code. You come up with three great experiences, but don't be afraid to share the dark side of that story because that's what we all see ourselves in that story and it's inspiring. So I think that's the other little thing I'd throw in there. No, I think that's so valuable because there are many people who are really afraid to let anyone see vulnerabilities or weaknesses or something. Everybody knows that sort of cliche question about, so, you know, tell me, what are your weaknesses? And they go, oh, gee, I'm a perfectionist. Yes, that's what it is. And people are going, wow, wow, right, exactly. Yeah, see through those. But the ability to say, here's a lesson I perhaps learned the hard way, but here's the lesson that I did take from that experience and how I now use that to do something better in a way that will be of greater service to you and your company. I think that's such a great angle of it. What did you learn? And to own it and say, you know, yeah, here's where I made a mistake and I'm not proud of that, but I recognize it. And I can share that with you and I'm not being sheepish about it. That shows a unique kind of executive presence. I think for those who are seeking to convey that better, to own not just your successes, but your mistakes and show how you grew from them because the company that you're interviewing for is going to benefit from that growth. And to know where you came from, where you are now will also help them to see where you're going. Am I just speaking out of my ear here? Got it? You nailed it. Okay. But yeah, I got that one right. So last question real quick. Tell me something that you do to create a little bit more fun for your team. Well, I think money's fun. And so we do (laughs) tons of money games around here. Okay. And we do rock, paper, scissor challenges. This is on a near weekly uh, and monthly basis where we're, we're, we're doing these types of activities. 
It could be trivia challenges. It could be a rock, paper, scissors tournament. It could be a heads or tails competition where we flip a coin until until we're down to one. And so not only is it super fun and engaging and someone leaves with some money, we always give them the option to double or nothing at the end. True Vegas style. Nice. And it is so funny to see uh, how excited everyone is to watch uh, and experience those things together. So that's one of the little things that we do around here to just keep things fun and fresh and have a good time. Nice. It's funny because it goes back to what you had referenced in the beginning that for a lot of people, there is that perception that, hey, more money equals more happiness. And it's not that money will fill the void necessarily, but a little extra money definitely can be a lot of fun when you do have that opportunity. So this is being consistent with what the original lesson was that you shared at the beginning. So we want to make sure people are clear on how those two things do work together. Yes? Absolutely. Terrific. Well, Jacob, tell us, how can people learn more about you and disruptive advertising? Where I'm the most active and the best place to connect would be on LinkedIn, Jake Batsgard. There's so many A's, you'll find it. It's great. And if you're interested in learning more about the agency, uh, either as a place to work or if we might be the right fit to help grow your business, just go to disruptiveadvertising.com and you can learn everything you need to. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. And to everybody else out there, thank you as always for tuning in. Don't forget to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. And of course, to please give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or your platform of choice so that we can help even more people to increase their confidence, presence, and influence. And of course, if you want to download my free guide to equipment recommendations for virtual influence, including my picks for microphones, lights, and more, go to speakingtoinfluence.com. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, and you're listening to Speaking to Influence communication secrets of the C-suite. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Laura Sokola, and I want to sincerely thank you for listening to the Speaking to Influence podcast. If you love listening to these episodes as much as I love bringing them to you, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And please go to iTunes right now to rate and review our podcast in order to help us expand our reach so even more people can master the three C's to command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal. Thanks for listening to Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite, the show for leaders who want to speak with impact. The host, producers, owners, and media distributors of the show make no guarantees that the strategies and information discussed will result in profit or other success and may result in losses. The opinions and statements of the hosts and guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the owners, staff, managers, broadcasters, or sponsors of the show. No medical or psychological therapy or personal or professional wellness or relationship advice is offered in the show. You are advised to seek counsel on matters related to your health, family, relationships, job, or other business and legal matters from licensed advisors in those areas prior to making any changes in business or lifestyle. No information provided may be suitable in your situation. As always, take responsibility for the decisions and actions you take, including the reactions they may make in your work, family, health, and life.